1: You're listening to The Archaeology Podcast Network. You're listening to The Archaeology Show. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and the history around us. Welcome to the podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to The Archaeology Show, episode 207.
1: On today's show, we talk about shipworms, head lice, and cracking skulls.
2: Let's dig a little deeper into your brain with that I don't know what kind of weapon we used, but we'll find out in the third segment. (laughs) Not
1: shipworms, though.
2: Oh, yeah. Not with shipworms. That's gross. No. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Welcome to the show, everybody. Rachel, how's it going?
1: It's good. This feels weird because we missed a week. So I'm like, man. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I hope you guys enjoyed that episode last week. It was really fun hearing the episode that I recorded with Paul because it's some really cool stuff they're doing out there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And we had been talking about like maybe having Paul on the podcast. And then when you got sick, it just was perfect to just you know, play yeah. your conversation with him. That's, I wasn't there, but that's fine. I didn't need to be there.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I'm yeah. still getting over a little bit of a cough. So yeah. you won't know it, but I might be uh doing some heavy editing yeah. on this today.
1: Yeah. Whenever so. the finger comes up at me across the desk, yeah. I know that means to stop talking so yeah. that you can cough. Yeah. The first uh, finger. Yeah.
2: Other fingers mean other things.
1: Wait. Oh. Ooh, I don't know geez. what you're, no, no. gross. All don't right. do that. Anyway. So anyway,
2: <laughs> we are just our little life update that we like to do. We're down here in Mexico still. Mm-hmm. And we actually decided to stay another month
1: we did yeah it's very affordable here and it's beautiful and i guess it's like snowmageddon up north of here (laughs) or something so like we don't need to do that when you see
2: a dusting of snow on the hollywood sign you know it's time (laughs) to not go north again (laughs) yeah right
1: yeah nope no thank you
2: anyway we've got a handful of news articles to talk about this week and the first one is from newsweek's tech and science division published on february 16th and it's called wreck of ship lost to storm 139 years ago washes up on a Massachusetts beach. And I'm just thinking there are probably like, how does a wreck from X number of years ago, <laughs> not wash up on a Massachusetts beach every year?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sh- you know what it probably does. I feel like right. we have covered a lot of uncovered wrecks, but yeah. this one I wanted to talk about because this isn't the, the first fragments from this boat that have washed up here. Mm-hmm. There was actually some fragments back in December, too. And we kind of missed covering the story back then when it came out because we were doing other things. And so I thought this would be a good moment to, to talk about it because it's a, it's a cool wreck.
2: Yeah. And in the article, they actually have a pretty cool video right at the top of the page there that's kind of showing the wreck. Yeah. Yeah. It's really yeah. Well
1: yeah. It's really neat. So basically, there's these wooden boat fragments. They appear on this beach in Nantucket. And... Dave Robinson, who is head of the Massachusetts Board of Underwater Archaeological Resources. Fancy. <laughs> he has confirmed that it was likely a section of the renowned ship that wrecked nearby, the Warren Sawyer. I
2: mean, how does he know that? Does it say in the article? I can't remember.
1: Um, it doesn't say, however, because those fragments had washed up back in December, too. I think they've already mm-hmm. done some research here. And whatever pieces these were, were very obviously part of that same wreck, is what I understand anyway. Yeah. So, the Warren Sawyer was a schooner that wrecked on the Maya Comet Beach in December of 1884. It was blown off course by severe winds while it was traveling from New Orleans to Boston, and
2: And it was was carrying a whole bunch of tea, right? (laughs) Oh wait, Uh,
1: no, that would be a century Mm -hmm. earlier. No,
2: (laughs) no, this one was carrying a cotton. This one was carrying a cargo of cotton and scrap iron, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, man, God, scrap iron on a boat. Yeah, heavy
1: yeah yeah Yeah. i'm sure it was very heavy
2: displaced by by the cotton though i guess
1: yeah uh, well the cotton gets real heavy too when you get a whole pile of it like it's you know think about a stack of fabric that it gets heavy so yeah anyway um the the ship was destroyed obviously and the the cargo was lost but silver lining i suppose is that the crew all made it ashore alive so Mm -hmm. it's not one of those kind of tragic wrecks
2: yeah and I don't know if anybody's ever read Moby Dick. I read it a few years ago, actually. Yeah. Uh, actually, it's probably closer to like eight yeah. or nine years actually, ago that was at this a while point. Ago.
0: Yeah. 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 It yeah. was
2: when we lived up in Sparks, I mm-hmm. think, uh, mm-hmm. Nevada. But yeah. anyway, Herman Melville based his book Moby Dick on the Nantucket whaling industry, which anybody who's read that would be obvious. But um, and that was all dominant during this time period.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's just a lot of boat activity going yeah. on in this area for sure at that time period. Yeah. <laughs> So the fragments have been very well preserved so far. And this is the main reason why I thought it would be fun to cover this story, because it's like, why are some ships really well preserved and why are others just like husks that you can't even find anything of that fall apart? One reason why a ship might be well preserved and is the case in this particular situation is that... After it sank, it was quickly covered in sediment on the bottom of the ocean, and that like layer of of soil, soil, sediment, I guess sediment when it's in the ocean, yeah. is what allowed it to be preserved and just kind of stay there, and it's mm-hmm. almost the same condition it was when, when it sank, so that's really cool.
2: That's kind of the, I don't know, fortunate thing about shipwrecks is mm-hmm. they often happen in storms, and storms are turbulent times, and the closer you are to shallower waters mm-hmm. or i guess the shallower water that you're in the more that sediment is being turned up by the tumultuousness mm-hmm. of the ocean and the currents that are being created mm-hmm. and yeah it'll just it'll it's probably a little loose down there anyway yeah uh, and then when it's all just being th- tossed around and after the storm settles it gets you're just buried up. yeah yeah
1: and and what happens this i thought was so cool what happens if you're not, if the the ship sinks and it's not covered in sediment, Mm -hmm. is there are certain little critters that will get in there and start eating. Always a little critter. I know. There's always a critter. So there's these things called teredo worms, and they are, they just, like, think that timber is delicious.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And they just get in there and start eating it. And you can see, if you see a picture of wood that's been underwater that has, like, those little, like, wavy lines in it, that's from these, like, worms, like, boring their way in and just, like, eating their way through the wood.
2: If you, at this point, do not think evolution is an actual biological <laughs> process, just think about the fact that whatever substance has been created, including things we've made like plastic, there are organisms that will eat and digest plastic, uh-huh. little, small, tiny microorganisms that have been maybe even developed. I'm not really sure. And yeah, they will just eat anything that you want. Mm-hmm. And there's, I mean, bacteria that eats poop. <laughs> there's something there's, to eat
1: everything. There's bacteria
2: yeah. and organisms to eat wood. I just heard last night around the campfire that somebody is has discovered and or is developing this little larvae of something that eats goat heads. If you don't know what goat head is, it's a tiny little sticky oh. thing. That is like prickly and gets in your feet in certain parts of the United States and uh-huh. probably Mexico and other places of the world. Yeah. But there's this thing that eats them and will just like break them down. What? So they no. And I'm like, okay, really? well, what are we growing that's eating goat heads? <laughs> like, what are we propagating there? Yeah. So anyway, it, there's something to eat everything.
1: There is something to eat everything. And it's, and it's, for it's sure. actually
2: a big concern with this because in all archaeology, because again, there is something to eat anything, mm-hmm. and you have to. You have to think about that when it comes to preservation. You yeah. know, when you take it out of that environment, is there something else that's going to think it's delicious? So when you take it out of whatever protective mm-hmm. environment it's in now, how yeah. are you going to protect that? And they, they have to inject like wood beams and ship and stuff with, with certain materials mm-hmm. in order to preserve them. Because the minute they expose them to the open air, they start to Yeah, degrade. they start degrading and for then, sure. And then there's other stuff that will think yeah. it's delicious.
1: Yeah. It's like there's always something that will... Yeah. come after a, a ship that has sunk yeah. you know if it's underwater and it's not buried in sediment these these shipworms are going to eat it once it's exposed to the air the air yeah. is going to degrade it so like there's always something that is trying to to decompose the ship so yeah. archaeologists definitely have to act fast in these scenarios in order to learn what we can from them before they're gone
2: and in fact, this article is little about the ship and mostly about ship eating worms. It,
1: it, it really is. But yeah. they are very interesting because like <laughs> we, we really dodged a bullet with this wreck in particular because, you know, had it been not as well buried in sediments and yeah. then these shipworms, the Teredo Nav. Novalis would have you know eaten them yeah. <laughs> they're like these little it's actually um, they call them worms but they're actually like little clam species that, that just sort of bore their way in there and, and eat That this is disgusting too they can grow up to 20 inches long nope and they, and they will completely devour anything in the water made of wood. And that can include ship hulls, sunken ships, docks, piers, seawalls, anything, big, anything. Big
2: pile of nope.
1: Yeah, I know. It's so crazy. And as you can imagine, these were particularly devastating in the era where everything was made of wood, you know, like pre-1900s-ish, that everything was wood back then, you know? Yeah.
2: Of course, the British Royal Navy wasn't going to have any of it. <laughs>
1: that wasn't
2: uh, sophisticated enough for them that worms were eating their ships. No, no. They couldn't yeah. have that. So mm-hmm. they tried covering their holes hulls in copper yeah. or, or at least strategically covering them in copper to protect them.
1: Yeah. It didn't I think that worked to some extent, but of course it's not perfect either because you know what? You put metal in water and what happens? It rusts. It rusts or there's underwater bacteria that will, you know, eat that. So there's just there's just so much to eat ships. I don't I just yeah. You talk about like moving onto a boat someday and I'm like the <laughs> the ocean is Just constantly trying to destroy your boat, your your boat. That's all it wants to do is destroy the boat. Fiberglass, (laughs) however,
2: is one of the few things that there's almost nothing will eat that, you know, Mm -hmm. which kind of makes you think about... That's true. ...your own life living on fiberglass. But either (laughs) way, yeah. Yeah. So.
1: Anyway, so all that's to say is that there's a lot of things that want to eat the wood. (laughs) So we've got this great preservation because of the sediment. And like you said before, it's, you know, the shifting ocean floor... And storm surges will bury the ship, but then it's also what exposes the ship. yeah. Yeah. And then the the waves push it to shore, obviously, once it is uncovered, because if it's not buried and anchored to the bottom, then it's just going to roll on in.
2: Yeah. And if we don't get to it quickly, it can start decomposing, like we said earlier. Yeah. Once it gets exposed to the air, Mm -hmm. it's no longer, so to speak protected by water. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean water will degrade it in its own way and probably over time it'll just be gone anyway. Yeah. But it's much quicker when it gets exposed to the air. When it
1: starts drying out, like that's when that's when it goes. So
2: And not only that, but it'll start warping and deforming Mm -hmm. and you won't see its kind of original shape anymore. Not Mm -hmm. that it necessarily has its original shape in the water either because it will kind of inflate and balloon up as it Mm -hmm. gets waterlogged, but still. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, in this case, experts were contacted very quickly. And also they they knew what ship they were dealing with, too, because of the previous fragments that had washed up. So in this case, you know, conservation efforts were able to begin quickly and they knew. I mean, it really is just like piles of wood. So like in the end, I'm not really sure how much they can learn from that. But yeah. at least whatever they could learn, they, they started it quickly and they got it done. It's not always the case when a ship is washed ashore, a shipwreck, and then it's not found right away. Like in that case, you're going to lose that time. So,
2: yeah. And the cool thing is, you know, when they recover this wood, they can start to get an idea of the age of the wood, Mm -hmm. at least when it was cut down. Yeah. Using dendrochronology, because we have really good dendrochronological records around Mm -hmm. the world that, that people have put together these lists. And, Essentially, if you if we haven't talked about this in a while, dendrochronology is the science of essentially counting tree rings Mm -hmm. and not only counting tree rings, but looking at the thickness of the tree rings to, you know, sort of match it up with other climatological cycles. So Mm -hmm. if you have a really thick tree ring, it was a it was a good year for growth on that tree. So whatever that means for that tree and its environment, you can kind of match that up with other climatological data, Mm -hmm. sea core, you know, lake core sediments, stuff like that. But once we you get this profile you can look at this log now Now that's just when it was cut there's nothing saying it didn't sit in a shipyard for 30 years and not get used on an actual boat
0: mm-hmm. you know
2: but but at least we can say when it was cut which should be pretty close to when the ship was built yeah yeah. so that's pretty cool and also
1: where too right because you've yeah, got different well, species of wood so exactly. you know if you have if in this case they knew which ship it was but if you have a shipwreck that washes up and you have zero idea where it is where it came right. from when it is any of that you use the dendrochronology not only for the dating but also for the at least where the wood species is from, which might help you narrow yeah. in on which ship it is because we have, I think we have fairly decent records of what ships wrecked when because mm-hmm. merchants, you know, they, they did a good job of tracking what happened with their boats. And also like the armies or Navy and stuff too would would be doing a good job of tracking what sank and when and where. So you can yeah, our, figure that out.
2: Our brains just want to keep a log when it comes to boats for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, even... Even people that live privately on sailboats and things like that. I mean, they always keep a log.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: It's like, you don't keep a log. I don't keep a log in the RV. I mean, I do when we travel with just yeah, mileage yeah. and stuff, but that's yeah. more for taxes than anything. Mm-hmm. But it's its crazy. Yeah. So,
1: we always seem to have pretty good information about what ship it could be. Yeah. And, and then you can narrow it down from there. So. Yeah. So
2: between the log, the dendrochronology, you can start to untangle where this ship came from, <laughs> much like our next article, <laughs> Untangles the Alphabet. We'll be back in a minute.
0: Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.
2: Welcome back to the Archaeology Show, episode 207. We're talking about some news articles today. And this next one is a real (laughs) head-scratcher.
0: Oh shit! I did I not just,
1: like, see that coming. I just, like, at the How last did second? that happen? <laughs> I'm about to take a sip of coffee. <laughs> I almost spit it. Oh my god!
2: Go ahead and sip your coffee. It's from uh, Smithsonian <laughs> Magazine, published on actually November 10th, so it's not actually from this uh, this month or this week, but it was still pretty interesting. And we've been seeing it for a couple weeks now, and, and just wanted to talk about it. But it's scientists translate the oldest sentence written in the first alphabet, and it's inscribed on a Canaanite comb. And the words reveal a struggle with headlights. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So yeah, it's a tiny ivory comb. The words read, May this tusk root out the lice of the hair and the beard.
2: I know, that sounds awful.
1: I know. It really Anytime does. Anytime you're like,
2: Oh, I wanna be so it would be so romantic to just go back in time to these time periods and like, like Yeah. You better... Then there's like, all of
1: this. You're going to
2: you're gonna poop in a hole every day <laughs> and it's going to be bad because you won't understand the food. There's no water. You'll have to drink beer all the time yeah. and wine Yeah, and you'll have head lice.
1: Yeah. It doesn't sound great in some ways. I don't know how we survived it as yeah. people. I just remember like, I'm sure you had this experience too. I think everybody did as a kid where like somebody in your classroom got lice and then like... Everybody had to like go through like the lice check and we had like vinegar shampoo and stuff that we had to use. It was so gross. I've been
2: through the lice checks, but I, I don't ever remember getting it.
1: No, I never got it. I never yeah. did either. It was just, it became like a thing yeah. that you had to check because some, somebody right. in your classroom had it and it spreads
2: Is that still a so thing easily. in school? I don't even know. I don't know
1: if... I don't know I don't if, have kids. Yeah. I don't know if kids still get lice or not, but... I mean, have yeah. They, yeah, have
2: the, I mean it's not like our hygiene was so poor in the 80s that... No, you know, I know. It's not that so much So like, different. where would it have gone? Right, but, right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't anyway, know. Anyway,
2: the language, like we said, is in Canaanite and uh, the Canaanites were a group that lived in modern day Syria. Jordan, Lebanon, Israel, and Palestine from approximately 3,500 to 1,150 BCE.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the comb was found in 2016 from Israeli archaeological site Lachish. 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 Lachish.
2: Or Lachish. I don't Lachish. know if you pronounce the C-H.
1: L-A-C-H-I-S-H.
2: Yeah. The letters were actually overlooked because they look like I mean, honestly, you can see it because, you know, there's letters. Yeah. Yeah. But it looks like just scratches on there that are kind of random, but they were overlooked until they were taking photos in 2021 and then saw them while zooming in. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And probably had
1: better light and they could use the shadow to really pick out what they were seeing. Yeah. There are clusters of Canaanite letters that have been found on other artifacts like pottery, sherds and projectile points. Mm -hmm. But this is the first time a an actual like complete sentence has been found. And that is important because the Canaanite alphabet is one of the earliest ones. It was developed approximately 3,800 years ago, and it became the foundation for ancient Greek and Latin.
2: Yeah. The cone measures less than 1.5 inches wide and one inch high. I'm guessing there's a lot more to it. And this is just a fragment.
1: Well, I don't know. You can, if you look at the pictures, it looks like edges. I think it was just a small, it was meant for picking out lights. It wasn't necessarily meant for detangling i Ooh, think whoa, whoa. right
2: yeah <laughs> it's just making my head scratch yeah my head itch
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it's
2: made of ivory which would made it a little more valuable import yeah. to the area because they didn't have like a ready source of uh of ivory yeah but of course th- that was back when we would just take ivory off the faces of animals and use it for our own purposes
1: yes but i don't think there's any animal there's no elephants or anything that not that I'm In aware. that area. So yeah. I think it would have definitely been an import or a trade situation that got right. the comb.
2: Or at least not ones with tusks. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. On one side of the comb it has six thick teeth mm-hmm. that were probably used for like not untangling. Also, you know, maybe it was used as an actual comb then because yeah. that, you know, I mean, only one inch, but I guess maybe that's enough to get your beard untangled or whatever. Right. <laughs> and then on the other side of the comb, it has 14 finer teeth. Mm-hmm. So it was a double sided situation going on for all of your lice and detangling needs.
2: <laughs> yeah. The odd thing when you look at the picture is I didn't actually notice until we read that it had six mm-hmm. teeth, six thick teeth, because that's on the top of the photograph yeah. in the article. And I'm gonna say it just looks like little stubs. Yeah, and I don't know if they have other examples to this to confirm that those really were longer, longer things, and that's or is that just conjecture to say that these were longer pieces over here because they look like the ones down here, but thicker. yeah,
1: well, so. but like what else would those stubs be though? I mean, yeah, I don't know. I guess it could be part of decoration, maybe, but it
2: who knows? Right? Based
1: on how equally they're they're sorted out, and there's a couple of them in the picture you can see they really are like like little stumps coming yeah. up off the top. So yeah. It would make the most sense that they were thicker
2: mm-hmm. t- teeth
1: on that side. But yeah, they are gone. They're mostly broken off. So you can't really say for sure what was going on there.
2: Yeah. Interesting thing is you can carbon date ivory because it's organic. Yeah. You know, it's a, uh, it doesn't seem like it. It seems like, it feels like rock.
1: Yeah. But, uh, right.
2: But it's definitely organic. Mm-hmm. It's like teeth basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But not
2: really. It's not the same thing as no, teeth. No, but, but it's like a similar, yeah. similar yeah. substance. But that failed for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And but the site it was found on, other dates were found that ranged from 1700 to 1550 BCE. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of surprised with the development of language in this area being well before that, mm-hmm. that this is the first time we've found like, a complete sentence in that yeah. language.
1: Yeah, totally. That's just
2: mind-boggling to me. It Why is. don't we have other examples of that?
1: Yeah, well, maybe they whatever they were putting the sentences on is probably something mm-hmm. that doesn't preserve, right? Yeah. So we just don't have the things true. with inscriptions but they were carving know? stuff
2: in all kinds of things yeah I mean, they have an ivory yeah. carved comb here so, yeah right you know so, it's just uh it's crazy and well mm-hmm. you know the thing is this was found six years ago mm-hmm. so what other kind of stuff is sitting in a box somewhere that has writing on it that's mm-hmm. older or or from the same time period and we just don't know anything about it
1: yeah know? It's the thing that we talk about all the time that you don't know to look for something until you know to look for it, right? And this sort of inscription that is really hard to see and might not look like inscription until you get a microscope on it or a really zoomed in lens, then, you know, it's worth like a reevaluation of any artifacts that might have this kind of thing on them. But then again, who would have thought a comb would have an inscription on it? That is such a strange artifact to have words on it. And yet here it is. So you really never know what you're going to find. And this is definitely like a really, really special, special artifact. I'm not, I don't usually, and we try to be careful about not like revering artifacts, right? Right, Because artifacts are just this tiny little piece of the culture that they represent. And what you should be trying to do is learn about and understand the culture that they come Mm -hmm. from and not just hyper value the, the things that they made. But in this case, it is such a really special artifact that it it is it is worth, you know, valuing and also learning from. So it's cool.
2: I just imagine a future where we've got intelligent, nimble fingered robots, basically, because robots are coming around. There's robots in every industry just about Mm -hmm. uh, in one way, shape or another. And I just imagine unleashing an army of robots into a lab. an archive basically Mm -hmm. and just having them go through and you know clean and yeah and just reanalyze they could probably have eyes that could do photogrammetry and they could just you know (laughs) do a thing and 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 upload it as they're doing it and and just all the things we're going to learn in these freaking museum collections that were collected even you know a few years ago to decades and decades and decades ago and who knows what's lurking in our own collections already
1: yeah I mean it's It's another thing that we've talked about before in our own experience with archaeology is that there's like the whole drudgery aspect of it where you're just like wading through piles of artifacts and data trying to make sense out of it. But if you can have AI or robots or whatever come in and do that first pass for you so that so that you miss that. (laughs) soul-crushing, <laughs> you know, thing where you have to sit in a lab and look at artifacts all day long and most of them are nothing. Most well, of them are nothing. But if AI could do that first pass for you, you don't have to do it. It would
2: be And great. There's, <laughs> there's any number of grad students and undergrads and work-study students that would be happy just getting a, a meager paycheck to sit in a lab and just reanalyze stuff. But there really is no time or budget for any of that. Yeah. And honestly, if I had to do it, I would probably want to smash my skull in with an ancient weapon. We'll
0: talk about that
1: oh, wow.
0: on the other side of the break.
1: That's was a good one.
0: <laughs> You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss, and if your identity is stolen, your dedicated US-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me.
2: Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's.
1: Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to The Archaeology Show, episode 207. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about smashing skulls. Yes. Smashing skulls (laughs) and ancient murders. So this is the... True crime version of the podcast. Oh, my God. And yeah, and it really kind of is, right? It's the true ancient crime. We've talked about doing like a true crime podcast about ancient murders and things like that. This will be a perfect article to talk about in that case, although it's not like a specific murder like you're used to in real true crime podcasts. That's usually what they talk about is, oh, when, you know, young Jennifer was murdered. Let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Right. But this is a little bit different. And that's how an archaeology true crime podcast would have to be in most cases. Because if we know who was murdered, chances are we like know who did it. Yeah. And and we know how it happened. Yeah. Because they're famous. And it was written about.
1: (laughs) True. So Very true.
2: most of the potential murders that we would talk about or we've actually probably found in the field, because one of the first projects we worked on together, there were a lot of human remains. And I have no doubt that some of those people could have been murdered. They
1: could have been. Right. But
2: we would just never really know that unless there was real evidence for it which is yeah. what the point of this article is mm-hmm. and we've got we're actually for this one we found the original publication so you can look at the journal article mm-hmm. and then also the one we're talking about is from the kansas city star february 25th 2023 and it's called scientists smash skulls with stone age weapons to solve ancient murders
1: yeah so this is a little bit of a experimental archaeology <laughs> kind yeah. of a situation too in a way that i've never heard of it being used before yeah <laughs> so for sure. it's cool
2: yeah the the data set they were using is from an archaeological site that goes back to 2006 when a mass grave was found by archaeologists in germany and contained 26 individuals that had signs of extreme trauma mm-hmm. extreme trauma not just like to their heads either but like to other parts like of their, their whole bodies yeah. yeah
1: and the graves date to about 7,000 years ago mm-hmm. it was called the Talheim death pit
2: yeah that's not ominous at all
1: no I know and like you said like the the bodies were just like smashed legs broken and yeah probably tortured right like it looked it must have but, been tortured I mean
2: listen 7,000 years ago if I'm like with my family and I'm coming across the German countryside and I'm like let's go to the Talheim death pit I'm like why <laughs> would we go there we're just gonna get our heads smashed in yeah. no that's uh-huh. obviously not the old name of it right yeah so Again, 7,000 years ago, this was during the Middle Neolithic, or Stone Age, and that time period started around 10,000 years ago. It's a really long time period. Mm -hmm. And it shows the type of violence that was apparently common in that area because we have, uh, this is not the first example of this. Right. You know, it's just a a mass grave, which I don't know how many mass graves there are, but there's definitely evidence of pretty severe violence in the past with uh, some other graves. And
1: it's interesting because it's kind of like, why? Because... If you're a, a conquering, you know, tribe or group or whatever coming into an area and you feel the need to murder all of the people so that you can claim that territory for yourself. OK, fine. I'm sure that happened. But like, why the torture aspect of it? Like, what what would you be getting out of that? Why would well, that happen?
2: And it may not have been. I mean, it. yeah, I mean, I don't know if torture is the right word, to be honest yeah. with you. I think it was just. I think it was
1: extreme violence extreme that violence looks like yeah. it was torture, but it was, yeah. And then you get yeah. somebody on your
2: knees, you've already hit once, you're going to hit them one more time to take oh, them out. Right. I know. So yeah, but, I, I don't know why uh, people,
1: it's so hard for me to understand I why <laughs>
2: I don't know why the people back then were so angry, but <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, you are talking about uh, people that came out of the last ice age and they yeah. came out of the last ice age with very few resources trying to figure out how to survive. Now that was a few thousand years before this, but you know, as they're coming out of that seven thousand years ago, the environment's mm-hmm. changing, the animals are changing, mm-hmm. the you know everything is is in you know constant flux. Historically, I mean, from the day to day, it probably didn't look like that to them. Right, but it seemed like for thousands of years, it was probably a a constant struggle for resources. Yeah, and and, pe- and trying to figure that out, and you just start to. Probably just get real angry at like, people who ex- want your food. Yeah, and you know,
1: violence just becomes a part of your daily yeah. daily life. That's I suppose. just how it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It is so, hard from a, like a modern mindset to understand why, but yeah, yeah. it probably was all down to resources, right? Yeah.
2: So this this study wanted to figure out exactly how they were killed and what weapons were used, right? Mm-hmm. Because you can see smashed skulls, but that what does that mean Do they these rock? Do they mm-hmm. fall down a cliff. Like what happened, right? Yeah. So they. Created similar stone tools, including an axe with a maple handle and a stone of serpentine rock. It's called. Um, we've seen serpentine actually mm-hmm. in Nevada. I think.
1: Oh, have we? And, okay. Uh,
2: it's a kind of chert, uh, similar uh-huh. to flint. They call it flint is a kind of chert that yeah. they, that's over common in Europe. In and Europe, and uh-huh. the, there's flint here too in the United States, but um yeah. yeah, it's flint is the kind of stuff that is on the end of a hammer strike for an old style of gun. You yeah, because it and would the, make a spark, basically, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. The second weapon was based on a different murder victim from Spain found in 1999. That victim was killed using a stone adze, which is basically a big pointed rock sharpened and then tied to a stick.
2: Yeah. That's,
1: that's kind of like what you see in the movies, right? That's what cavemen kinda, yeah. are running around yeah. with. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah, kind of thing. Pretty much the
2: tomahawk style sort of. Yeah. 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 But uh, anyway, the reason they went to this other site in Spain is because they wanted something that was definitive. They, like, they knew that that dude was killed with this type of a tool, so mm-hmm. they knew what that looked like. And they, and they, and those types of tools were available mm-hmm. in Germany at this time as well, mm-hmm. it, not what became Germany, right. the, the Neolithic Germany area. So they wanted to have a, not necessarily a control, but kind of a control, you mm-hmm. know, to see what was going on here. So they ended up creating skulls out of polyurethane, gelatin, and rubber skin. They were very realistic.
1: Okay. Yeah. And
2: would exhibit the same like fracture mechanics. That real bone
1: would basically. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And then the scientists basically just started taking swings at them.
1: Did they make... So they made actual skulls. Yeah. So they were shaped like human skulls and everything, like all the same pieces, all of that. Yeah. And
2: then just raged on them.
1: Oh, man. That... I feel like that would be hard to do, too. (laughs) I mean, all in the name of science, I suppose, but geez. I know.
2: They said the skulls crunched when smashed and left behind telltale signs.
1: Yeah. I'm sure they did. each tool would...
2: would interact with the skull in a different way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And and since they had, like, the, the rubberized portion on there, that represented the skin, because you you really need the skin around the skull to understand how it's going to fracture, because the skin the can... The skin
1: holds it together. The mm-hmm. skin
2: can not only hold it together, yeah. but, you know, possibly cause a glance-off and, and cause different uh-huh. kinds of things to happen, so... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a different tool would, or weapon, I guess, in this case, would, you know, interact with that in a different way. Mm-hmm. and Some would be yeah. more effective than others.
1: Incidentally, that's how, like... Forensic anthropologists and physical anthropologists can look at a skull and when they see damage to a skull, they can look at it and figure out whether it happened, you know, while the person was still alive and or after death. Because like you said, like if it's just a skull that has decomposed just down to the bone Mm -hmm. and then damage happens to it, like it falls off of a cliff or yeah. you know a mountain lion drags it around that kind of damage is totally different from what it looks like when there's skin still on the body and mm-hmm. it even somebody's still alive you know that's just very different damage so that's yeah. a very important key thing to to recreate in this experimental archaeology yeah exactly <laughs> yeah
2: they found that the axes and adzes were very similar in what they do to the mm-hmm. skulls but there were some very definable characteristics that made them look different mm-hmm. basically the similarity ended where they both smashed skulls open yeah but how they do it was different right yeah. and one of the cool things is they ultimately determined that the um, German victims were likely killed with something looked like an, that looked like an ads, Mm-hmm. right um, because of the shape of the injury mm-hmm. and you know, the other thing is the ads is a very heavy rock very big rock that's very pointed pointed mm-hmm. and because it's so pointed, You can also kind of tell the direction the blow came from.
1: So would it have been a pointed rock on a stick where the point is in line with the stick? Or would it have been like perpendicular?
2: Still a chopping motion.
1: Okay. Okay. So kind of like an axe, the way it's mounted on there with the point coming off of it at a 90 degree angle. Right. Okay. Got it.
2: Yeah. So... Uh, and in fact, they have pictures in the actual article. Okay. if you look at the journal okay. article, yeah. yeah, the journal article is open access. You can actually download the PDF. Mm-hmm. But they show these like these trials where they're they're trying to smash at these, I guess, these kind of round things that aren't really skulls. But you can see the handle that they had, and then the the thing affixed to it. So they mm-hmm. were both like an axe type of chopping. Thing. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So again, tomahawk is. Native American, mm-hmm. but it's kind of the thing that comes to my mind because that short handle
1: yeah. with the
2: thing on the end of it, you know, mm-hmm. so it's yeah. very similar. Okay. And I'm sure, I mean, that's a that's just a, a similar like extension of your arm. And I imagine cultures all over oh, the planet yeah. develop something like that. Oh,
1: for sure. Yeah. Slightly different versions of it, slightly different pointy things. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely. It's an easy thing to imagine doing.
2: Yeah. So well, the cool thing about the ads damage showing the direction of the attack is that they were also able to reconstruct how some of the victims were killed. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. I would imagine you'd be able to tell stuff like, you know, if somebody is told to get on their knees and they were chopped from the top of the head, that's hard to do when someone's standing up.
1: It's true. Yeah. But Then
2: then again, could you do that if somebody would like lunged at you and, and were bent forward and then you hit them on the top of the head with the ax? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know.
1: But I bet there's, I bet there's a slightly different angle to all of that. And if you have the right preservation, you can probably Mm -hmm. tell that depending on, you know, how well it's preserved basically. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But take a look at the pictures. It's really good. It's really interesting how these different things left different holes and and different shapes of holes. And, Mm -hmm. and I guess they, they, I was wrong. They really didn't make skulls. I thought they had, they made these round representations of skulls because they really just wanted to see how the bone reacted on your skin. Yeah. Right. So
1: that actually, it feels so much better to me because like (laughs) doing experimental archaeology on exploding Things that look like actual human skulls, yeah, like the, you know. <laughs> the like mental trauma of that would yeah. be hard. So I'm kind of glad they didn't look actually like skulls. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So
2: anyway, pretty cool research study and just shows you that, you know, it's not just about smashing heads and taking <laughs> names, but uh, they really did some some good graphics on here and analyzed how each thing did. And they, they tried to hit these in the same way with the same tool, you know, and Mm -hmm. I mean, you're probably not doing it with the adrenaline rush of a, you know, a stone age man more than likely Mm -hmm. that is just going to come down on you with all its force. Yeah. But that being said, you know, you may not need that to be able to tell the different shapes of things.
1: Yeah. True. Yeah. True. True. So really cool study.
2: Anyway, since this kind of trauma is common in this area, they hope to shed light on other discoveries that have been made, and maybe mm-hmm. reanalyze some other collections and say, "Oh yeah, it was it was this that mm-hmm. did it," you know. Yeah, so that's pretty cool.
1: That is really neat. Well,
2: that's pretty much all we have for today. And besides, we really don't have time anymore because it's uh, you know Saturday in Mexico, and we're going to go tequila tasting. <laughs> so, yep. You know, that's what you do. That
1: is that is the plan for the afternoon. Yep. Yeah. So. so
2: all right. Well, with that, I guess we will uh, see you guys next week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Archaeology Show. Feel free to comment and view the show notes on the website at www.archpodnet.com. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at ArchPodNet. Music for this show is called I Wish You Would Look from the band Sea Hero. Again, thanks for listening and have an awesome day. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV traveling the United States, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, DigTech LLC, Cultural Media, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. And was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at Network.
0: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.